ahead and find a seat. But church, it is great to be with you this morning. It truly is our true wealth and eternal wealth to know Christ and his love. And as what we're here to do this morning as we continue on in our series, the Gospel of John, we'll be continuing on in Jesus' prayer. John 17, if you have a Bible. And this is Jesus' last prayer before he will go to the cross. He is moments away to be betrayed and handed over and ultimately nailed to a Roman cross. And this morning, friends, we're going to see something very interesting as we look at some of the last words of Jesus' prayer before he is nailed to a cross. Anytime there are last words of someone, it's a good time to lean in because the last words of someone truly shows what they've lived for and what they're going to die for. And Jesus is no different in his prayer. He is going to show us something that is so near and dear to his heart that he spends all of these verses we'll be looking at this morning giving credit to. And that, friends, that he is going to show us the near and dear thing to his heart, rather the near and dear person to his heart, is God the Father. Jesus is going to explain in these next verses, all glory goes to his Father. That is why he has come to accomplish the will and the work and to speak the words of his Father. And he's going to give all glory to his Father and show us that it is the Father who has given all along. So, friends, this morning I have a sermon titled, Give Glory to the Father Who Gives All. And this morning we're going to look at three questions when it comes to how Jesus explains to us and teaches us who the Father is. And we're going to look at the questions, what does the Father do? What is he like? And how is a church as followers of his son, how we ought to respond? And again, friends, this matters this morning because oftentimes, if not always, when we find ourselves ensnared by sin, it is because of a lack of identity. And oftentimes you'll hear in Christian circles, you're not living out your identity as a son or daughter. And we don't really equip ourselves, though. We just kind of tell each other we'll live as a son and daughter. But what does that mean? Well, friends, how are we ever going to live rightly as sons and daughters if we don't ever rightly know the Father? And friends, this matters because if we can get a deeper identity as sons and daughters because we have a deeper intimacy with the Father. Friends, I truly believe that we're going to see that the good gift giver, that the Father is, will give us the strength. He will give us power from on high through his spirit, through the blood of his son to see strongholds broken, addictions crushed, see Love flourish in the church and in the home. Friends, this is why it matters. So if you have a Bible, be in John 17, continuing on, starting in verse 6. This is Jesus continuing to pray after last week. As he's praying to the Father, he says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. And I just want to pause there because it's going to set up the rest of our time together. Jesus is showing us that he has come for one purpose. It is to manifest the name of his Father. If we just want to unpack, what does it mean to manifest? If we're looking at the word manifest by simple definition, to manifest is simply to demonstrate, display, to be the absolute evidence or proof of. What does it mean, the Father's name? What's in any name? If you think of Justin Larson, that's a name. It's just words on a piece of paper, but it's what's behind that name. It's who's behind that name. It is the very character, the being, the heart of the Father that Jesus is saying, I have come and I have demonstrated, displayed, be the absolute evidence and proof of your being, Father, of your 
heart. You'll see in Hebrews chapter 1, we just went through the Hebrews series. In Hebrews chapter 1, we're told that Jesus is the radiance of the Father's glory. That he is the exact imprint of his nature. And what this means is we're going to see the Father most clearly because we've seen the Son. And Jesus will even go on to say that in the gospel account. So as we look at how Jesus has demonstrated, manifested his Father's heart to us in his earthly ministry, we need to see how has he done that. Well, if we've looked at John 17 and just looked at the first four verses that Glenn preached last week, we can see what does the Father do? Let's start there. How has Jesus manifested the Father's heart? Well, first let's just focus. What has the Father done? Verse 1 of chapter 17, we see that the Father has given Jesus glory so that Jesus can give glory back to the Father. The Father and the Son always live to glorify one another. That is their relationship. They are the triune God, Father, Son, Spirit. They always live to glorify one another. The Father has initiated by giving Jesus, his Son, glory. That glory will be given back to him. We'll see in verse 2 that God the Father has given Jesus authority over all flesh. Glenn talked about that last week, what that means to have authority over the the world and our flesh. We see in later in verse 2 that God the Father gives authority to give, gives authority to Jesus to give eternal life. The Father then in verse 4 is going to tell us that he gives Jesus the work to accomplish. That Jesus will actually pray that I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. That was all last week. We see that the Father has given already four things. He gave his son glory. He gave him authority over flesh. He gave him authority to give eternal life. And he gave him the actual work to do. Jesus didn't come up with this plan to live a sinless life, die a sinner's death, and raise again from the grave. That was the Father's work. From the beginning, before the foundation of the earth, the triune God had always had a plan. There was never a plan B, and there was never going to be. The Father gave the Son the work to do. The Son, in his role, comes to earth and accomplishes it. We look at this morning in verse 6, that the Father is actually going to give Jesus his very followers. If we look here later on, it says, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. That means that every follower, every Christ follower, Christ lover, has been given from the Father to the Son. There has been a holy handoff, if you will, from the Father saying, I now give you. You are mine. I am your creator, rightfully mine, and now I give you. I hand you off to my Son. means, friend, If you are born again this morning, if you are following Christ, how comforting is it to know that you don't have a father in heaven who's this grumpy, gray-haired old man, nose up in the air when you sin, disappointed, and you think that Jesus is just some friend, right? That Jesus is my friend, the Spirit is my helper, but God the Father, we don't talk really about him. The Father is kind of always grumpy, disappointed, always needs to be appeased by the Son, Jesus has to live in intercession for us because we think the Father is just always mildly disappointed with us. But rather, friends, if we'd have the correct knowledge of the Father, we would know that he's the one who actually initiated. He's the one who actually took you out of your deadness of sin, the darkness that you were living in, and actually gave you to his son in the first place. 
it was the Father's will all along that you would be given to his son. And then when Jesus intercedes on your behalf, he's not trying to appease a father who's angry, but rather agreeing with the father who initiated in the first place. And friends, we'll see in verse 7 that God the Father will actually give Jesus everything. It says, now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. This means that while Jesus in his earthly ministry at three years started at, at age 30 and crucified at age 33, in the three years Jesus performed many miracles, performed many healings, casted out demons, set people free. And all of those works he is testifying and saying, Father, you gave me all of that. If we remember his baptism, the Father was so kind to actually give him the Holy Spirit. That when John the baptizer, when we went through our series early on in John, we saw John the baptizer baptize Jesus. And what happens? The clouds part and the Holy Spirit comes down from heaven like a dove, resting on Jesus. And you hear the booming voice of the Father coming down audibly, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Up to that point, at 30 years old, Jesus had been a Jewish carpenter. He didn't start his earthly ministry yet. And he was waiting for the Father to empower him by giving him the Holy Spirit. So all along, it has been the Father giving Jesus the work to do, and not only giving him the work, but the power to do the work. He has given him his very spirit to say, I will empower you to, to practice the spiritual abilities and gifts from the Holy Spirit so that people feel seen, so that people feel loved, that people get healed, that people get demons cast out of them. That's the freedom that God the Father wants for his children, and he will use his son in his earthly ministry that he's given him through the spirit that he's given him. And Jesus is quick to always read the gospel accounts and, and try to read now without the lens of seeing that every time Jesus does something, he gives all glory and credit to his father. We see that even in Lazarus. If we remember that account where Jesus is weeping for Lazarus, and yet what does he do? He prays and says, Father, I thank you that you hear my prayer. I know that you always hear me, but I am praying on their behalf so that they would see to give glory to you. Verse 8, we're going to see that the Father gives Jesus his very words to say. Verse 8, he goes on to say, For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. It means, friends, that every red letter in this book that Jesus speaks is because the Father gave him them to say. So if you want to hear from the Father, know that when you listen and read of the Son, you are hearing from the Father. Those are the Father's words that he gave to his Son to preach to us. That means the Father's message is Jesus' gospel of repentance and faith to turn and trust in his Son. Those are the Father's words that he gave to his Son to preach. We'll see in verse 12 that the Father gave Jesus responsibility to keep us. If we look at verse 12, he says, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. That means, friends, if you belong to Jesus, you are kept by Jesus because you are kept by the Father. This is the responsibility that the Father says, son, not only will I give them to you, but now your responsibility is to keep them. 
and, and assure them that as you keep them, not one of them will be lost. Because ultimately it is I who is, I'm the one keeping them through you. And not one of us will be lost if you belong to Christ. If you've truly bowed your knee to Jesus, you have an ongoing interactive relationship to think that you won't make it, that you won't be kept. Friends, that is, that is just terrible theology if we look at the, the triune God who tells us that we have been sealed, secured, guaranteed that if you have truly been born again, out with the fear, out with the notion, out with the ideology that you will be lost. The scriptures testify you are being kept and not one will be lost. So we see the keeping and the responsibility. We're seeing all of these things throughout this passage of what the Father does. Specifically, what the Father gives. And now we're kind of starting to touch upon what is he like. So I want to move to that question. What is the Father like? And I have some categories here just to help us. There are so many titles. So many things worthy that if, if we could have all day, we could talk about what the Father's like. But I, I have some five categories. First one being protector. God the Father is a protector. Psalm 68, 5. He is the father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. The heart of the Father is to keep, to protect, and to father. It's in his name. And friends, I just want to be real. A moment here of seriousness. If, if you're the person coming in here today and you didn't have the Father in your life that showed you the love of God the Father, I just want to say I'm sorry. I just want to say I'm sorry. That is not God the Father's original design for your life. But if you don't have a present relationship with your father. Maybe he left. Maybe he's distant. Maybe it's tumultuous. Friends, I just want to let you know that that is not the father's heart. And God the father would delight, love to cherish you as his own son or daughter. That is the heart of the father. The father hates when fathers leave because that is not his heart. Not only is he protector and a father of the fatherless, but he's also a gift giver. And one of these gifts, friends, too, if you have lost your father, the father is a gift giver to give you himself. And he would gladly be your father and delight to treat you as such. And with these gifts, Primarily being himself, we see in James 1.17 that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Friends, that means that every good gift that you have gotten from the Father is not only a good gift, it is a perfect gift. It means that many of us in the room need to look to the left or the right and look at our spouse and be reminded they are a good gift. And not only a good gift from the Father, but a perfect gift. And if you're wondering if you married the wrong person, kill that thought. Kill it. You are telling the Father that his gift was not good enough or perfect enough for you. And many of us need to go back after this and pick up kids and look at them and remind them 
get down on their level on a knee and say, you are a good gift. You are a perfect gift from the Father. You are not an inconvenience. And, and that's, that's the heart of the Father. Because every gift is a good gift and a perfect gift coming from above. And ultimately we see that the greatest gift that the Father will give is himself and it is through his Son. We're going to see that, that God the Father is going to give us his very Son. He's going to give us the bread of life to be satisfied. He's going to give us the fountain of living water to drink from so that we would thirst no more. This is the heart of the Father, to give good and perfect gifts, even the gift of his Son. We see that he is also a saint sustainer. If we would turn to first, uh, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 1, 21. Paul writes this, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Again, such assurance of the Father. Say, you will not be lost. You will be kept. I have given you not only my son and secured your feet on a firm foundation, born again believer, but I have also given you my spirit as a down payment. Say, this is my home. I will live here and you will live with me. God the Father is a saint sustainer. He is because he is a loving God. A verse that many of us have come to know and love, but also maybe if we would confess are tired of John 3.16. The glorious truth that I pray, friends, we would not let culture dictate the beauty of God's word and the beauty of God's glorious truth. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This means we can read in context of this verse that if God gave his only son, that means that it's implying the father. That God the father so loved you, friend, that he would spare nothing to have you back. Not even his son. And not only to spare you from the punishment we all deserve because we have sinned against him, but to actually then give us eternal life instead. This is because God is a loving God. The Father is a loving God. If we flip back in John, just a, a handful of chapters back to John 6, Jesus reveals something very important about the Father's will. John 6, verse 39 through 40. Listen in because if you want to know the Father's will for your life, look no further than John 6, 39 and 40. This is the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father. Here it is, verse 40. This is the will of the Father. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him, should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Friends, this means that the Father's will for your life, the Father's will for every person's will in this life, in this room, and in this life, 
is that you would be given over to his son. That you would look to his son and be saved from your sin. And that you would have eternal life in him forever. That's the father's will. And friends, if you're walking in that, you're being reminded of that, you're living that out by faith right now, you are doing the father's will. You've been given to his son. You are looking daily to his son to save you, to sanctify you, to keep you. This is the Father's will, and it shows us this is the Father's heart because, last but certainly not least, it is because he is a compassionate Father. It's in his name. God the Father is a compassionate Father. This should not surprise us. And unfortunately, in our culture today, it does. God the Father is a compassionate Father. Psalm 103.13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. To those who fear him. You know what the fear of God is? Just quick theology, quick definition of what it means to fear God. What does it mean to fear God the Father? Well, it doesn't mean that we fear approaching him, as many of us do, and I confess. That is usually what we think when it means to fear God, that we just fear approaching the Father. And that's the opposite of what the Father means by that. To fear God is to fear the thought of being away from the Father. There's a a story that um, I I use to exemplify this. Many of you know C.S. Lewis. He says um, in his story of Narnia, when it comes to fearing God the Father, that God the Father, he is not safe, but he is good. And therefore should be ran to. That there is no greater thing we would fear than being away from the roaring lion who would win every battle if we would but stay near him. That's what it means to fear God the Father. Not to fear the thought of approaching him, but to fear the thought of ever being away from him. He is a compassionate father that wants, he longs for us. That is why he gave us his son so that we could be reconciled to him. Why would he ever expect us not to enjoy the blessing that he has given us through his son? Which leads us into how do we respond? And again, I just want to remind us that as we see the heart of the father. If you want to see the heart of the father more clearly, look no further than the heart of Jesus. In John 14, 9 through 11, Philip's going to actually ask Jesus some very profound question where Philip asked Jesus, Jesus, show us the Father. For that is enough. What Philip is asking here is he's saying, and he has good theology. Philip asks a very good question that most of the world would be asking if they would just have the eyes to see. Philip is saying, Jesus, if you'll just show us God the Father, our hearts will finally be satisfied. Our wonderings will finally come to a cease. Our faith will be solidified. Jesus, we thirst to see God. Will you just show us the Father? It will be enough. And Jesus so calmly and gently responds to Philip. He said, Philip, how how can you ask such a question? Have you not been with me long enough to know that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Friends, if you want to know the Father's heart, 
a heart of compassion that sees, that heals, that loves and cherishes. And you see that in the gospel account of Jesus in every, every single interaction. If you've seen Jesus in the heart of Christ, then you've seen the heart of the Father. And how do we respond? Verse 8, have you received his word? Have you received his words? Verse 8 again says, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them. So friends, if you want to know the Father and how you ought to respond to such love, the question is, have you received the Father's words through his Son? Have you received the gospel message of the Father's words that tell each and every one of us, you are a sinner, dead in your sins, completely separated from the Father for all eternity because of your intentional, willful sin and sinning that continues on. That, that you can't actually know the Father in an ongoing relationship until you are reconciled to the Father. That if you want this Father, you want God the Father to be your Father, then you need to heed the Father's words that say, come to my Son. Have your sins washed away. Have your sins forgiven. Let my Son give you a new heart. Let my Son give you a righteousness that is not your own. Let my Son pay for your sins lest you would pay for them yourself, eternally separated from me in hell. The Father and his words are saying, let me hand you to my son, and would you look to him and be saved? That is the Father's words. Have you received them? Have you actually bowed your knee to the son? Have you let the Father hand you over and adopt you into a new family with a new father. Friends, these are the words of Jesus. He says even himself in his teachings that when he rebukes the Pharisees and the religious leaders, that he says, you are not of my father, but rather you are of your father, the devil. That means that, friends, if God the Father is not your father, you have another father. And Satan father of lies who only comes to steal kill and destroy to tell you just live your best life you do you follow your heart follow your dreams make a lot of money live the american dream that is a lie from a father who is not god the father and god the father would be so kind to heed the word to give you his words to heed say come to my son be born again Bow your knee, turn from your sins, let me adopt you. In verse 6, if we would go on to see how we ought to respond, do you keep his words? So not only have you received his words, do you keep his words? Verse 6, uh, Jesus will say, yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. That means that not only did the disciples receive the word, but they kept the Father's word. And friends, that is our response too. Not only have we received the word, not only did you give your life to Jesus a while ago and you live like hell now, it's, it's saying, do you actually keep the Father's words? Is there ongoing keeping of the Father's words that you first believed the moment you bowed your knee? 
And what this means is, first of all, there's grace. We can just admit that and take great comfort that the Christian life is one of grace. It starts by grace, continues by grace, and ends in grace. And Jesus even models that so well. If we would look at this verse where he says, they have kept your word, he's referring to his 12 disciples. Which is funny to me because if you know anything about the disciples, they didn't seem to actually be keeping the word like Jesus says they did. They are constantly cowards, faithless. Jesus always correcting them, rebuking them. Jesus even calls Peter, get it behind me, Satan. Peter's literally about to deny Jesus three times, and yet Jesus goes to the Father and says, they have kept your word. Jesus, what are you talking about? You don't keep your word. And many of us could probably feel the same. Many of us probably feel like, well, I keep going back to that sin. I keep struggling to have faith, intimacy with the Father and Jesus. And yet Jesus, friends, looks at you and says, you are keeping my Father's word. Why? Because Jesus sees the heart change that he saw in his disciples. He saw hearts that truly believed that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one will come to the Father except through him. Those disciples believed that, banked their life on it, and built their life on it. And friend, if that is you, well done. The Father looks at you with such pleasure. And agrees with his son who says, you are keeping my word. Keep going, friend. It is grace. He is not looking for perfection. He is looking for a heart that believes in his son and continues to look to his son for salvation. And last but not least, verse 8, do you believe in Jesus, his son? It goes right into it. Verse 8, for I have given them the words you gave me. They have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me, friends. Have you believed that Jesus is truly God, truly man? He has divine origin. He's not just some prophet, not just some religious leader in the history books, but is alive today, sits at the right hand of the throne of the Father, who ever lives to intercede for you, loves you, and is the God who has saved you. Friends, this is all about not only justification, but friends, if this is a message this morning, it's one of adoption. It is one of adoption. And friends, this was a hard message for me to preach and to come up with as I wrestled with the text because I'm actually adopted. I was adopted four months old from South Korea. My parents, Mike and Mary Larson, they are two white couple from uh, Iowa and yet they have never been anything and never will be anything other than mom and dad to me. And friends, what this did for me as I wrestled with seeing my own posture and how I don't approach the father because I forget I'm adopted into a new family. And I reflected on my own adoption story and how it's so easy for me to go back home, back down to Lincoln to my childhood home, and there is never one moment in my mind where I have any doubt that when I walk through that door where I stand with mom and dad. I have no doubt whatsoever that they will welcome me with open arms, most likely cook me a home-cooked meal, and enjoy that I am home with them. I never wonder if Mike Larson 
will allow me to call him dad. And friends, what I say about this is because most of the time in my life, I grew up feeling like an outcast. And it wasn't because of my parents. It was because of the world around me. Comments like, I remember back in preschool, the kids would tell me, why don't you look like your mom and dad? Why is your face so flat? Why, is, why are your eyes so thin? Why is your hair so black? And why is your nose so wide? Comments like that at preschool, making me feel like I didn't belong and that I certainly didn't belong with my family because I didn't look anything like them. And I remember in those moments, I'd go home crying, embarrassed. And I remember my dad kneeling down and saying, don't listen to one word those kids say. You are my son, and I love you, and you are mine. That is the very love, friends, that the Father has for us. That when Satan and his demons would love to make you feel like you're not like your father, and say, hey, you don't look like your father. You look like you got a lot of sin still. Are you sure you're his son? You sure you're his daughter? You don't look anything like him. That's the voice of the enemy. And the father takes you and puts you behind his back. Because that is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That is my beloved daughter who I will protect and cherish. You do not speak to her like that. She is mine. That is the love of the Father. That is compassion of the Father. That is the protection of the Father that we have because of Christ. A new identity, a new righteousness, a new identity as sons and daughters in whom the Father is well pleased. So friends, I pray that this would be where we leave this morning. That we would understand that if we could just get a right view of the Father, we would actually have a right view of ourselves as sons and daughters, and there would actually be victory. There would actually be confidence. There would actually be a love for the Father where you fear the thought of being away from him rather than the thought of approaching him. One of my favorite quotes from Christian theologian J.I. Packer says this, and this is how I'll end. He says, adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers, higher even than justification. To be right with God the judge is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. Let that sink in as we leave this week. And I just want to pray. Father, I do thank you. I do thank you, Father, that you are compassionate. We see throughout the old covenant and the new covenant your heart that is so slow to anger. And so quick to love. Father, we thank you that it is your heart and your desire that no one would perish, but rather look to your son, be given to your son, and be saved. Father, we thank you that we see your heart through your son, that if we've seen Jesus, we have seen you, and that, Father, we would have all the more boldness, confidence, and desire to actually approach you because your throne is accessible through the blood of your son and the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name.